Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is the podcast dedicated and bringing you the best of horror and thriller old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and tonight's episode is number four of, as I like to call, lesser known, but just as equally entertaining, meaning I bring you certain radio programs that may not be widely known, but I still feel are extremely intriguing. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are BBC's Haunted, Tales of the Supernatural, and Crisis. Our first radio play is called Listen to the Silence. And this was first broadcasted sometime in 1980 on Haunted. Following that, we have the radio play Nightmare. And this was first broadcasted on December 12th, 1973 on crisis so you all know the drill sit back turn down the lights and listen to listen to the silence followed by nightmare turn it on as soon as I come home from work and I forget to turn it off when I go to bed. I depend on it to fill in a companion constantly talking to me, entertaining me. It's wrong. I must stop being afraid of silence. There's nothing to fear. Just sit here and listen to it. Oh, I thought it was coming for me. Oh, dear, I'm shaking. No, Mary, stop it. Pull yourself together. It was like a warning. A warning of approaching death. Coming. Coming for... No. Listen, Mary, listen to the silence. 
Why am I doing this? Why am I turned off the radio? Why am I deliberately sitting here frightening myself? I must be going mad. No. Don't say that. Don't even think of it. You're not mad, Mary Smith. You're perfectly sane. Why have I always been so lonely? Like a stranger in a strange land all my life. Indifferent parents, lovers without the pretense of love. Then solitary confinement as age inevitably conquers looks. What will happen to me when infirmity takes all? No! That's the easy way out! I will listen to the silence. I will. I know someone is there. I've always known. I was afraid. That's true, but not now. Come into the silence and join me. Come in. I'll be brave. I'll listen. Here I am. <gasps> At last. Who are you? The radio and your voice presented me. Where are you? Here. I am here. But I can't see you. Can you see the voices that come from your radio? Who are you? Your grandfather. My grandfather? A seaman, an explorer. Adventure was my life, still is. And what a great adventure it has been turning to you. But, well, you can't be either of my grandfathers. You speak with a foreign accent. They were born in London. Besides... They're dead. So they're not your grandparents. And your so-called parents. They're not your parents at all. What are you saying? Listen, Mary. I have something to tell you. Your real father was my son, Stephen. He was Polish like me. He didn't have the opportunity to marry the girl he loved. He was a political activist. And he was killed six months before you were born. Natasha, my daughter-in-law, your real mother, died giving birth to you. And you were taken to an orphanage in Warsaw. You were one of the lucky ones. A refugee family brought you with them when they fled from Poland to England. Here, they did a secret deal with an English couple, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, who adopted you. They were childless and desperately wanted a girl. But afterwards, they regretted it. They found you ungrateful, solitary, and temperamental. Quietly, they hated you and were secretly delighted when you ran away. As for you, without knowing it, you ached for your own country, your own people. You are Polish through and through. I have been trying to reach you. 
But you never gave me the silence, the deep silence I needed until tonight. I'm dreaming. Tell me I'm dreaming. No, 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 you're not dreaming. Entranced, yes. For the first time, you have opened the door which deep down inside you knew was always there. The door between the two worlds. But I'm not psychic. I've never been to a seance in my life. You have always possessed psychic powers. But you have been secretly afraid of embracing them. Believe me, Mary, there is nothing to fear. Nothing at all. I thought that hearing you like this, well, that I'd be afraid. But I'm not. It is natural, Mary. Everything that happens is natural. How could it be otherwise? We must keep our voices down. They might hear us downstairs. Only you can hear me. No one else can. Why have you come? First, to tell you who you are. This I have done. Secondly, and important to me, is to tell you stories. Wonderful stories that make up my life. But there is time for that. You have the rest of your life in which to hear them. All you need to do is to open the door to the silence. And I will come into it. Now, go to bed and sleep. Go to work tomorrow as usual. In the evening, when you return, do not switch on the radio, but listen to the silence. I'll be waiting to come in. Good night, Maria. Maria? But I've always been called Mary. Maria is your real name. Maria. Mrs. Maple. Had a good day, love? Yes, thank you. Everything all right, is it? Uh, yes, yes. Oh, that's good. Had a visitor the other evening, did we? Uh, no. Why do you ask? Nothing, really, but... Well, it's just that Jenny thought she heard you talking to someone, that's all. I said she must be talking nonsense, because I didn't hear you let anyone in. You're right, Mrs. Maple. There was no one with me. I was quite alone. Good evening. Good evening, dear. I won't turn on the radio. 
just sit here quietly and listen. Listen to the silence. Hello, Maria. Oh, hello. I've been thinking about you all day. Have you? That's nice. Where do you live? There is no way in which I can describe where I live. Your language does not contain the words. But I shall tell you tales of how I lived when I was in your world. Oh. What's the matter? So you are dead, then? Only in your limited sense of the word. Do I sound dead? No. Not a bit. But... Yes? Tell me... What is it like to die? Do not fear dying, Maria. If you've enjoyed life as much as I have, you will find dying bitterly disappointing. But in time, that feeling will pass and you will discover that dying is another form of birth. And you will be content at the prospect. You make it sound almost pleasant. Well, it's less of an ordeal than I thought. Tell me about when you were in my world. Tell me about your adventures when you were here. Well, I was a captain of a ship and traded in Malay archipelago and along the seashores and riverbanks of Africa. Once I remember when I was trading in Haiti. And after all that, I had managed to survive and return to England with a hold laden and the ship and all its crew safe. That was wonderful. Oh, tell me another story, Grandfather. Please. Please. I feel like a child again. Good. I'm pleased. Except when I was a little girl, no one ever told me stories. That's all in the past now. I will tell you more stories tomorrow when you come home from work. Promise? Of course. And the evening after that. And every evening of your life until all the tales are told. Good night, little Maria. Good night, Grandfather. Oh, how marvelous. To have something to look forward to every evening for the rest of my life. I'm so fortunate and so happy. I've never ever really been happy before. And this, this can go on and on. I can safely say we know one another well enough for you to tell me if there was something worrying you. Isn't that so? Yes, Mr. Robin. Good, that's what I thought. Except that I don't know what you mean. There isn't anything troubling. Oh, isn't there? 
I'm not blind, you know. Simply because I allow you to get on with your work quietly in the corner of the office doesn't mean to say I'm not interested in the welfare of my employees. For instance, you've lost a lot of weight these past few weeks. Have I? Yes. I was wondering if you have a, a good meal when you get home from work each evening. Well, occasionally I may miss... Ah, exactly. What you eat here at lunchtime isn't enough to keep a sparrow alive. I'm all right, Mr. Robbins. Really, I am. <clears throat> then there's your work. My work? I hate to say it, but you've been growing, well, absent-minded of late. Your work is suffering. Little inaccuracy, spelling errors. Nothing serious yet, but enough to make me want to have this little chat with you. I'm wondering if something's happened in your private life. Uh, a bereavement? No. No, nothing like that, Mr. Robbins. On the contrary, it's more a rebirth. Mm. I'm very happy at the moment. In fact, I couldn't be happier. I see. Well, Mary, I suggest you take the opportunity of keeping a check on your strange euphoria. Be as happy as you like in your own time, but while you're here, I'd like you to take a little more care with the work I'm paying you for. You understand? Grandfather. Grandfather, are you there? I'm here, my child. I didn't tell you this before, but two months ago, my employer, Mr. Robbins, called me into his office and told me that my work was deteriorating. Today, he called me into his office once more and gave me the sack. He calls it making me redundant, but it amounts to the same thing. Before, before you came into my life, I would have been terrified, but I'm not now. In fact, I'm glad. I shall get unemployment pay, and I shall be able to spend more time with you, listening to your tales. Good. Good. Tell me something, Grandfather. Did you ever write them down? Never had the time. I was always too busy living my life, not writing about it. But you have time, lots of it. Why don't you write them down for me? Write them in my voice. Hear me in your mind's ear as you write. My tales are true, not fiction. True tales of a sea captain who lived nearly a hundred years ago. But you must have a routine. You will write in the morning, starting early. In the afternoon, we will go over what you've written, and in the evenings, I will give you fresh material. I shall have to go out sometime. No, no. But, Grandfather, I have to eat. I'll provide you with food. Food for the mind and spirit. That is what matters. Spend your money on pens and paper and exercise books with good stiff bindings. That's all you need. Believe me, Maria. That is all you will need. That and the dreams you'll dream. Tomorrow, you start writing.
told me, Grandfather. And the most marvelous tale of all. Then you will write it down tomorrow morning, as you have done all the others, rising at five as usual and going on till midday. Grandfather, I... I think that tomorrow morning I... I really should go out for a little while and buy some food. It's not that I'm hungry, though I do feel weak. And I've become so thin and so frail. And my hair's falling out. Listen, Maria. That does not matter. You must write the story tomorrow morning while it is still fresh in your mind. This is my best tale. And my last. And it's written a life's work will be complete. You will be able to close the last exercise book and write the end. What do you say? It is the end, my child. This is the room, Doctor. She's here. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Maple. I rang as soon as I found her. I'd no idea she'd got herself into such a state. I hadn't seen her for a long time, you see. Yes, I got the feeling that since she left work, she tried to avoid me. She was always punctual with the rent until this morning. When I didn't find the book and the money in the usual place, on the table in the hall, I knew something must be wrong. Yes, then I came up, knocked on the door, mm. and when there was no reply, I came in and found this. There's no food in the cupboard, nothing. She never drank milk, you see, so there was no telling she wasn't getting any nourishment. You know, checking the bottles the way you can with some people. Mm -hmm. There's nothing here except all these exercise books full of writing. It's as if she just went out of her mind, sat up here in solitude and complete silence, and wrote her heart out. Mm. Uh, Mrs. Maple. Yes, Doctor. Would you like to go downstairs and look after your daughter... I'll just examine her and be down in a few moments. Oh, of course. Sorry. Here I am, jabbering away, and you want to get on with your work. <laughs> Would you like a cup of tea when you come down? You were a long time, Doctor. Tea's ready. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Maple. Like you, I'm not shocked by death. I was present when my mother and my father died, so death doesn't shock me. It was how she looked, like something out of one of those prison camps. She was like a little shriveled old woman of about 90 instead of a 50-year-old. That's all she was, Doctor, 50 years old. I've sent for an ambulance. There'll have to be a post-mortem. You're not sure how she died, then? I believe it was starvation, which, of course, leads to a natural self-poisoning. Has she any relatives? She never spoke of any. She didn't receive any letters to speak of except act forms and the like. So I've no way of knowing whether there were any relatives or not. Mm, Mummy! Mummy! An ambulance is dropping outside! All right, dear. They think it's a bit of excitement, don't they? I'll take care of the exercise books for the time being, if that's all right, Mrs. Maple. Well, I don't know. Oh, they'll be returned when it's all over. They'll probably be needed by the coroner. Coroner? Oh, there'll have to be an inquest. But that needn't distress you. They'll simply ask you to describe the circumstances in which you found Miss Smith. Well, I see. No one's going to blame you, Mrs. Maple. 
She wouldn't have welcomed any intrusion into her privacy on your part. Well, that's how it seemed to me these last few months, Doctor. She changed. She really did change. It wasn't for me to interfere. I'd probably feel as she felt. I like to keep myself to myself. Hello, Richard. What are you doing? Oh, hello, darling. I was reading. Oh? They look like exercise books. They are. What's in them? Hmm? Oh, stories. It's just that it's all a terrible waste. You mean they're no good? No, no. The opposite. Look, darling. I'm afraid they're not making sense. Well, Mary Smith, who apparently wrote these stories, was the lodger of one of my patients. I think she starved to death. Why? God. How awful. I think she was possessed by the need to get these stories down on paper. You mean she wrote herself to death? No, darling, it doesn't make sense. There are 20 stories here, set in Malaya and Africa in the 19th century, and they have an extraordinarily authentic ring about them. You must agree that it's more than strange a woman writing that kind of story. You could almost believe they were true. They're told in the first person by the central character, a Polish sea captain, Trader. Oh. He doesn't even reveal his name. But seeing that he's Polish, the whole thing must be a figment of her imagination. But what an imagination. Then there's another thing. There's a terrible urgency about the writing. I'm no expert, but although every word is clear, in the later stories, when she must have been at her weakest, the handwriting has a strength, a fortitude born of suffering, as if she were determined to finish her task, and when complete, calmly lay down and die. Can I see them? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. I see what you mean about the handwriting. It is a bit wild and ragged. Especially towards the end. But there's an exhilaration about it. Exhilaration? Not fortitude, darling. Exhilaration is the word I'd use. Look, see how the lines slant upwards and the letters slant forward? It's, well, optimistic handwriting. Wasn't too bad, was it, Mrs. Maple? The coroner was quite nice. He was very kind and understanding. Well, it's all over and done with. Oh. I was pleased with the verdict. Yes, by misadventure? Yes. Better than all that talk about the balance of the mind being disturbed and all that, you know. What was in those exercise books you took away? They were mentioned, but not in detail. They were full of stories, Mrs. Maple. Very good stories. My wife's a part-time teacher, as you know, and she's reading them aloud to the kids in her class. She loves them. Reminiscent of Joseph Conrad in some ways. I think it's possible that Miss Smith must have read Conrad when she was a girl, absorbed the feeling and style, and then when her life became empty, she somehow recalled Conrad and produced her own similar creations. I don't understand all that. But I do know Jenny enjoyed hearing them. Jenny heard them. Not all of them. Snatches of them. She could hear Miss Smith reading them aloud. 
Jimmy told me she used to sit outside her door and listen. She wouldn't make up something like that. No. No, of course not. I'm glad Mrs. Rotherson's reading them to her school children. At least all that work Miss Smith put into them won't have gone for nothing. about what happened to Miss Smith? I suppose I should have told you, Jenny, but oh, I thought you'd be upset. Especially about her dying in the house. No, I'm not upset. I feel sorry for her. I feel sorry for anyone who dies. Why did she die, Mommy? She was old, I suppose. Her time had come. She wasn't all that old. I mean... She wasn't as old as a man. Man? What man? Didn't you see him? What man are you talking about? The one that came here to see her, of course, a visitor. I never knew she had a visitor. The funny old man with the dark brown face and funny hat. And that great big white moustache. And you saw him? Lots of times. He was old. He was very clever. You know, Mummy, he used to walk right through this door. It's true, without even opening it. That is clever, don't you think? Right through this door. I wish I could do that. Skydiving, and to Corey Hunter, it's perhaps the only real freedom he knows. Diving from the wing strut of a Cessna 172, falling through the sweet Kansas autumn air until, at 1,200 feet, he pulls the ripcord that liberates the parachute that breaks his fall and once again saves his life. To Corey, stepping off that wing strut is stepping over the threshold of life into the arms of death. And the billowing chute is the sweet reprieve, once again snatching him back to life. Back to the anxious embrace of lovely, fragile Sheila, 
waiting and praying just outside the thousand-foot circle on the grassy field below. The ground and sky tumble wildly until he rudders his arms and legs, grasps the ring, and pulls. sensation rag you buy at the market. Those cases are true. Sure. Thousands of people get warning messages in their dreams. Oh, Corey, you've got to give up skydiving. That's all there is to it. Hey, I'm going to be late. Uh, have another piece of toast. No, I can't. You know the traffic. I've got to go. Call me. If I can. Now listen, Shield, please. Don't worry. But I will worry. Oh, Corey, in all our eight years of married life, I haven't asked you to change one single thing, have I? Just this. Let's forget it. Okay, Shield? Change jobs. Move away. Become hippies. Anything. Look, if it's the pressure down at the office... Listen, I gotta go. I'll see you tonight. Call me, please. Okay, honey. I'll call you. Okay, Red. Be on the ground. Here goes. Breathe out. Twenty-five hundred. Two thousand. Fifteen hundred. Oh. oh, no. Come on. Open up. Shoot. No. I can't get the emergency chute either. No! Oh, Corey, Corey, wake up. Wake up, darling, wake up. No. Corey, Corey, it's all right. Be calm. It was just a dream again. Are you all right now? Sheila? Oh, you're safe, darling. You're here in bed with me. You're safe at home in bed. Oh, God, Sheila. I swear it was so real. So real. Oh, Corey, your heart is going like a hammer. Now, listen. You listen to me. This has gone on long enough. I want you to promise me. Promise me. You'll get out of that skydiving club first thing tomorrow morning. I want you to call them up and tell them... Tell them anything... Tell them your silly wife will divorce you if you don't quit. Sheila, I can't let this beat me. Beat you? What do you think it's doing to me? I hate to say it, but... 
What I need is a shrink. Darling, what you need is to turn in your jumpsuit and helmet and parachute and just call it all off. Look, look, we could do so many things together. But I, I, I don't want to talk about it now. Do you think you could get back to sleep? I don't know. What time is it? It's, it's 4.15. 4.15. Oh, brother. Come on, darling. Let's turn out the light and you put your head here. Right here. You'll feel your heart pounding. I'll be all right. Just lie quiet. Sheila, I don't know what I'd do without you. If it weren't for you waking me up every time, I, I think I might not wake up. See, I, I dream I jump and everything's fine. And I get that beautiful free feeling. And then I count down, and then I pull the ring, and nothing happens. I see the ground coming up, turning, wheeling closer and closer, and then at the last possible minute, you wake me up. I hate to think what would happen if you didn't wake me just when you do. Horrible. Do I really scream? Yes, yes, you do. Loud enough for the neighbors to hear, do you think? I don't know. They, they never mentioned it. Sheila? Yes? Will you do something for me tomorrow? Anything. Will you call Dr. Tanner and ask him if he can rec recommend a psychiatrist? It's quarter of two the following afternoon. In the outer office of Seminole Title Insurance. Typewriters clatter. Secretaries move from phone to file to copying machine. Uninspired today by the usual encouragement of handsome Corey Hunter. Behind his office door, strangely silent, Corey Hunter sits sweating. Yeah? Corey? Hi, honey. Corey, how do you feel? I'm fine. I'm perfectly fine. Good Lord, Sheila, do you have to begin every conversation by asking me how I feel? Hey, I'm sorry, Sheila. Forgive me. Corey, remember what you asked me to do? Yeah. I took you at your word. I called Dr. Tanner and he just called me back, or, or his nurse did. She gave me the name of a, a man to see. Yeah? His name is Robert Brand. Grand? Brand. B-R-A-N-D. He's in the little professional group out by the new hospital in Glen Arm. I see. Can't you talk? Sure, I can talk. Well, I mean, you sound like there's someone there with you. No, I'm all alone. Corey, will you see Dr. Brandt? Uh, yeah. I've got to do something. You can't go on like you have been. I know it. Corey, I, I've made an appointment with Dr. Brandt. Oh? When? Well, he can see you this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Well, that's fast. You tell him it was an emergency or something? No, I just... The way the nightmare makes you feel, and he... And he wants to commit me right away. Not funny. Okay. Four o'clock? Can you get away? I can get away. At two minutes of four, Corey Hunter slides his orange 240Z into a parking space beside the low fieldstone office complex he had passed so often and admired. Now, as he walks into the courtyard past a modern bronze sculpture... He hesitates before a door marked Robert Brand, M.D. 
He turns the knob and goes in. Rich mahogany panels and dark cocoa furniture contrast sharply with the honey blonde secretary nurse in white, who nods silently and rises, moves around her all-glass desk, and smilingly opens an inner door. Corey smiles hesitantly himself, goes in, and sees a tall, squarish man stride toward him, hand outstretched. There is confidence here, and warmth, and quality. Mr. Hunter, right on time. How are you? Well, I'm fine. Well, I guess if I were fine, I wouldn't be here, would I? How about some coffee? Great. Cream? Sugar? No, black. You and Mrs. Hunter are both patients of Dr. Tanner, then? Yeah, that's right. Well, he's a fine man. I know several of his patients. Oh, uh, here you go. Have a seat. Thanks. Uh, I guess my wife called you, and she probably told you what, uh, well, what's bothering me. Why don't you tell me? Well, I like to skydive. I mean, I find it relaxing, and there's a sense of freedom and stepping out into thin air. You know anything about it, Doctor? Mm, no, uh, just what I've seen. You go out to that big sports field north of town? Yeah, that's right. You've probably seen us diving. Yes, uh, several times. So you find it gives you a feeling of... Freedom, uh, yes. Been doing it a long time? Oh, since, let's see, uh, it's been not quite a year. I see. And I really enjoy it. I will say my accuracy and precision are improving. Mm-hmm. Well, about a month ago, maybe a little longer, I began having this dream. Well, it's a nightmare. I dream I'm standing on the strut, just about to jump, and then I go, and everything's normal through free fall until I go to open the chute, and then, <laughs> well, the thing just doesn't open. Yes. Go on. Well, that's it. How does the dream end? I'm watching the earth getting closer and closer, and then it's really rushing up at me fast, and I guess I actually do cry out. I I mean, that's when my wife wakes me up. And you've had the same dream repeatedly? Yes. How many times? Oh, I guess uh, four times or five. And it's precisely the same each time? Yes, sir down to the smallest detail. When I start having a dream, I know how it's going to end, and I know it's just a dream, and I want to wake up, but it seems like it has to run all the way through, like an automatic movie, sort of, uh, that you can't turn off once it's started. You you know what I mean? Hmm. Uh, Tell me about your work, Mr. Hunter. Well, I'm vice president of Seminole Title Insurance. You work indoors? Yes, most of the time. How do you like it? a good job, plenty of opportunities. I'm young enough. I've got a lot of good years ahead of me. I'd like to build a business. Got a lot of plans. Yeah, I'm happy there. Very happy. In the money department, I'm doing quite well. Expect to do better. Get along with your boss? (laughs) Well, uh, I'm what you'd call the fair-haired boy, I guess you might say. Uh, No, I get along with people. I, I like people. I like dealing with people. Good. How about your marriage? My marriage? Well, Sheila and I have been married about eight years. We haven't had any children, but this doesn't really hang us up. I mean, we're both still young enough for that, and if we wanted to raise a family, we still could. Is married life satisfying to you? What what, what do you mean? Physically? Sexually? Well, I don't know about Sheila, but I haven't any complaints. Sheila is probably the most affectionate, loving woman a man could have. She does worry about me too much. 
She worried about your skydiving. Yeah, mainly that. I mean, I can understand it, but she cries when I'm jumping. Every time. My God, I suppose I put her through hell every Sunday. You go up every Sunday? Yeah, just about him. When you wake up from this nightmare, what happens? Well, I, uh, well, I'm, I'm sweating and my heart's going like crazy. Hey, is there any chance this thing could do any physical harm? Oh, not if you're in good health. I suppose you're going to tell me to give up skydiving. Would you like to? No. Well, I mean, I get a lot of pleasure out of it, but if it's subconsciously bothering me, is that it? Am I scared about it and I don't know it? What do you think? Look, I'm asking you. You're the psychiatrist. Have you made any jumps since uh, the last nightmare? Well, actually, I haven't jumped for over a month. Frankly, not since I had the first of these things, these, these dreams. Sheila's been begging me to give it up, naturally. You think I should? No, uh, I'm going to surprise you. I think you'd be happier if you knew you hadn't put so much faith in a dream that it caused you to alter your conscious way of life. Am I right? How do you mean? I don't want you to believe that this nightmare was some sort of, of a supernatural omen. You follow me? Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, Sheila thinks the dream is a warning. No, I advocate your going up at least once more. Just do it to prove to yourself you can. Then you can walk away from it and do it proudly. Then if you have any recurrence of the nightmare after you've turned your back on skydiving, I'd like to see you again. Then you don't think I'm... unbalanced? <laughs> no more than we all are. <laughs> hey, this wasn't as painful as I was afraid it would be. Thanks, Doctor. I hope I don't see you again. Hey, Shield. Home. I just come from Dr. Weird. Corey? Oh, darling, darling, how are you? Mm, I'm fine. Honest in Oh, you look fine. You saw the doctor? I did. What did he say? Well, he said I'm no crazier than everybody else. Oh, well, I knew you weren't crazy. And... He said, uh, you aren't going to like this. What? Well, I've got some good news and some bad news. No, 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 no. You're not supposed to say it that way. You're supposed to say it the other way around. I've got some bad news and some good news. First, the bad news. He wants me to jump one more time. Oh, you're kidding. And now the good news. Then he wants me to call it quits. And will you? I will. Oh, Corey, Corey, thank you, thank you. Oh, you'll never know how grateful I'll be if you quit. I know. Will you miss it? So very terribly. Well, maybe we can find something else to replace it. A mountain climbing, skiing. In Kansas? Oh, something, anything. Oh, darling, I'm so grateful to Dr. Brand. Oh, what sort of man is he? Brand? Well, he's tall, pretty well built. Probably in his early 40s, I'd say. Not bad looking. Not handsome. Just a good, straightforward sort of guy. Doesn't make you squirm. <laughs> I was afraid he'd be a little wizened up old man with a white coat and one of those reflectors on his head. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. Yeah. Hey, listen, hon. Today's Friday. Let's get it all over this Sunday, okay? The last jump? The last. I promise. Did he think the jumping is what's been making you have the nightmare? No, he doesn't say. He just says, if I quit skydiving and still have the dream, 
to see him again. Oh, but you won't. Not anymore. I just feel it. Well, Red, if you run into anyone who wants to buy my helmet and shoes and boots, you let me know. And it'll be my swan song today. She'll make me promise. And you know what? My marriage means more to me than hitting that stupid target down there. Well, I'll see you on the ground. Here goes. Three thousand. Twenty-five hundred. Two thousand. Fifteen hundred. Oh. Oh. Oh, no. It's the dream. No. No, this is the dream. Sheila, wake me up. Sheila, wake me up. Sheila, wake me up. nightmare that happens over and over? Ever had one like that? Well, maybe you'd better visit a psychiatrist yourself. Uh, but why don't you pick one personally? Uh, be sure he's a nice, wizened-up little old man in a white coat with one of those reflectors on his head. Our thanks to Ted Darm as Corey Hunter, Pat French as Sheila, and Bob Wright as Dr. Brand. Crisis has presented... Nightmare, written and directed by yours truly, Jim French. Join us next time for a tale of suspense, a story of crisis. That's our show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd. I also have a YouTube channel, Terror Radio. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like and share the videos. Will be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, better known as... The Radio Show Nerd, signing off.